0: Mm-hmm. And welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin, well known to my friends as Marv. And this time I'm speaking with Jason from It's Not That Bad. Hey, Jason. Thanks for speaking today.
1: Martin, thank you so much for having me on. And thanks for squeezing me into the schedule when you could.
0: That's fine. I've I've enjoyed the, the, the quick deep dive into all things. Um, well, I'm not really going to call them bad films because they're not all that bad. I, I guess it
1: depends on what your definition of bad is It's because there are some films where we watch and go Yeah, this is bad But our, our whole basis is that The critics are going to say one thing And critics are notoriously harsh, if you will It's almost like they're they take pleasure In finding the most eloquent way of calling a movie crap And that's not necessarily indicative of the actual movie that they're seeing
0: Well, I've seen films where people have said that about them and then I've watched them and I've thought, you know, I enjoyed this in the film, I've enjoyed that in the film and it's usually the lesser-known or the lesser-liked, shall we say, comic book-related films where I'll find something and I'll think, do you know what? I enjoyed that and I probably enjoyed it a bit more than the glitz and the glamour of the, shall we say, more well-known superhero
1: stuff. Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on the property and more often than not we we consider what we like to call the weight of expectation. You know, when you think about the the first 3 phases of Marvel films, we were talking comic book films, you know, everything was really so good except for like one or two. Um I I could pass Thor the Dark World any day. That's the only Marvel film I think I've fallen asleep to more often than I've watched the whole thing. But, you know, there was this, it was the newness to the concept, you know, and I think DCEU got a lot of flack for trying to mimic the Marvel method, if you will, by, you know, jumping right into, all right, then we're going to do Justice League and then Justice League Part Two and Darkseid right away. It's like, no, no, let's build it up a little bit. Let's build up the, these characters, which is why I think, you know, a movie like the first Wonder Woman film and the first Aquaman film, got better receptions, and then it started to go downhill from there. Um, There is a weight of expectation. But if you're going to take a a look at a film like Eternals, and you're going to try and compare it to Infinity War, don't. They are two separate films. And if you allow yourself to um, take away the weight of expectation that you get coming out of something like Endgame and Infinity War, then you can enjoy the film a bit more. And then also take into the sensibilities. You know, you you go into a Chloe Zhao film, you know you're gonna get a a beautifully shot, well acted film, um, but maybe not the pacing of something like the Russo brothers and something that they would direct. There's, I think, part of the problem too when you get franchises like that. You have different directors throughout and it's you're going to have different feels for different films. I think that's what Marvel did well in the first part, is that you know the Ant Man films they were heist films. Yeah, uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier and Civil War were more thrillers with a lot of action in them. Bit of espionage. Exactly. You could sit there and say, no, it's it's a genre film just happens to be in this universe and that's kind of what the comic books were to begin with but i think that's why some of the smaller lesser known um properties are well
0: received because they're new they're fresh i'm waiting for them to do some of the uh, some of the westerns that that they used to do back in the day at, at marvel and possibly some of the old war war comics as well that they used to do because i i mean if you go back far enough, you know we're supposed to be talking about films here, but you've you've pulled me in now, and I'm, I'm a comic book nerd. Um, so sorry, not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. And um, so, if you go back far enough in the history of of Marvel comics, Timely comics, or whatever you could fall back enough, and the same with DC, you go back far enough, there was a variation there, a huge variation. So, you'd find that, like I said, you've got westerns, you've got war, you know, like war stories where you've got actual armies. And they, these weren't related to, for the most part, weren't related to that superhero type of thing because you also had romantics as well. But so there's a whole wealth of material there. Uh, but they just seem to be working on that. And quite frankly, I think. You're right, DC were trying to come out out of the gate too quickly. And like a lot of people have argued, their better way would have been, in a sense, to have just forgotten the connectivity to start with and pick up what Marvel's missing, essentially, by taking advantage of the wealth of what is out there for them to work with as opposed to going, right, you've got this superhero, this one, this superhero. We've got to have all of these superheroes in a film, uh, each individually, because film five, we've got to have all of them together and having a big battle. And that was, like, pushing it a bit too much. I think, though...
1: You could take a look at the MCU, you know, the Iron Man and on. And that, I think, in itself was a reaction to what they had done in the earlier 2000s, where you had Daredevil and Elektra and Punisher and Ghost Rider and, um, you know, any other movies. There's a, there, there is actually a Man Thing film that was only released in Australia and only on DVD here, um, where they had, you know, these separate characters in their own little world and they never crossed but that was also one of the cool things about comic books is that occasionally you would have uh spider-man pop into a daredevil comic book i mean even when marvel had the transformers uh you would see i think it was like a third or whatever episode or issue of the the comic book, there's Spider-Man on the front cover, you know, slinging up Megatron. It's like you could have that possibility. Um, part of the thing, though, is that I don't see a way that they could take a comic book like Sergeant Rock and bring that to the movies now. Um, And some of those properties, they don't have anymore. I remember I was a huge fan of Rom the Space Knight. Uh, It was a short run that Marvel had, and then they lost the property of Rom, and that eventually went to IDW with some of the other Hasbro properties. Marvel's got that character back now, and they're about to, in January of 24, release a a volume one of a giant omnibus of all the Rom comic books from the Marvel line. I just don't see how you can roll some of those non Avenger type characters into this world. Although they are starting to branch out a little bit, obviously something like werewolf by night. It's not directly related to the Avengers and it was great. It was fun for exactly what it was. And I think that's where you can kind of have the middle ground, how they did the, the Marvel special presentation. Right where you can take a property that you have that in no way possible can tie into the MCU, and yet still do a property for Disney Plus and called a Marvel special presentation.
0: Yep, I, I mean you're, you're, you've mentioned that, and that makes me think of. Um, I mean that's where I think it works for them with the Disney Plus uh, option, like you said with the with the specials, because I enjoyed that and i even enjoyed the uh, the guardians of the galaxy christmas special as well for what it was i thought i thought that was really good um whereas the series they are a bit off and on they, they they sort of have good you know ups and then downs and pits and and it's almost like because they had the restriction with those uh specials um of you've got to write it and it's got to be within this specific time frame. Sometimes I think you can actually get good quality that's consistent throughout if you've sometimes got that restriction there. Whereas if you say to people, oh, no restrictions, you can write what you like um, and you've got a choice between six to nine episodes for the series, it's up to you. And it almost gives them too much free will and you get bits, t- you get, highs and lows then throughout a,
1: throughout a series well i mean it's interesting because you know here in canada we, we of course have our own shows that we watch and we get a lot of american television and the traditional series length for a show is 22 to 24 episodes of anything that's on like major american networks whereas i've always been in the mindset that, that that the brits have it right you know shorter seasons more compact stories and less filler episodes you know i i think you know people are are hating on secret invasion and i don't get it cuz i i thought it was through the six episodes it was very well paced i think with wandavision i think it was very well paced loki was phenomenal which you know i think yeah. loki is still yeah. to me the best series that they've done so far but with she hulk it was one of the longer series but i felt you could have taken out one or two episodes and made streamlined it streamlined a little bit uh, that may have hurt um, you know the netflix series when they had daredevil and jessica jones which freaking love jessica jones i thought that was the best yep. aside from daredevil i think jessica jones especially season 1 was the best marvel netflix series but luke cage and iron fist just felt too long like they were trying to shoehorn it to 12 episodes when sometimes six is perfect a perfect amount
0: Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely um anyway we we have already gone off topic <laughs> so we'll go back on topic now and we'll say what do you think is i've put the the wonder of questionable films you, you know like we said before we started recording, what would you call a questionable film? Um, I think I've sort of already mentioned in a way that, boy, I mean, going with what you said, it's the degree of expectation in some ways and the hype that you've got leading up to films where, you know, I mean, when you were talking about um, on the recent episode with your wife when you were talking about cleaner, or the cleaner, you know, you've got that expectation because... There's a great trailer that goes with it. Um, and uh, I haven't i haven't got a thing to, so I'll pretend that I'm doing this. And you've also got Samuel, beep, Jackson in the film. <laughs> and it looks amazing. But because you've seen that, it's got Samuel L. Jackson and you've got all these bells and whistles. and you do, Oh, this is really going to be such a great film. Um, recent Star Wars films, for instance, then, you know, you think, oh, this film is going to be this good when you go in with this expectation. And if you'd gone in with no expectations at all, you might have enjoyed the film better because you wouldn't have had that level of expectation. You'd have gone in and you'd have been like, well, that wasn't half bad a film. But because you've got that hype leading up to it, it's not reached that hype level. It's down here a bit further. There
1: are a number of movies where the trailer has completely and utterly overhyped the film. The first movie that comes to mind is a movie that we almost walked out of. It was the dead don't die. And I Mm -hmm. remember like directed by Jim Jarmusch, you've got Adam driver. uh, You've got Bill Murray. You have a phenomenal cast in it. Um, and the trailer made it look to be so funny and so quirky in almost a Wes Anderson Life Aquatic with, uh, with Steve Zissou kind yeah. of feel. And then you get to there and you start watching and it's like, this is slow and boring and the best bits were in the trailer. And you're like, at what point does the pain stop? right um i I think with movies especially ones that were released straight to dvd um there's there's a stigma and you can see that with you know movies that are made by netflix now or straight to streaming where there's a stigma to it oh it's not good enough for the big screen oh it's you know the budget doesn't justify the marketing budget require to get people into the theaters and with a movie like cleaner, which is a phenomenal film. It's very well paced, very smartly written. It's one of those great little whodunit type films. Um, with a few twists here and there and a really good cast and possibly the best use of Eva Mendes that we've seen in a film. Cause there've been a number of films we've covered and she's in it and they so misuse her here. They actually nailed it, but straight to DVD or straight to streaming does not dictate the quality, but yeah. you know, maybe there's the, there's the dichotomy though, you know, a film with a big cast and a big marketing budget that goes to the theaters and you expect it to be this big experience and you go in and it's boring or monotonous or or not what you thought, you know, you get that sometimes where you watch a movie. It's like, Oh, it's going to be feel like this. And you get there and it's like, Oh, it's completely different. I'd like to call it the event horizon phenomenon yeah. where yeah. you watch the trailer and like, this is a brilliant sci-fi theory. And for three quarters of the film, it is. It's a great sci-fi film. And then it turns into uh, basically a space slasher flick, like horror slasher type thing. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just took a wrong left at Albuquerque. And all of a sudden, we're, we're down this road. You know, The thing about straight-to-DVD or straight-to-streaming is that in a weird twist, your expectations are lowered because of that... Um, unconscious bias of the quality of the film based on the release of the media and maybe that allows you to enjoy it more and that's why some of these lesser known films you know the critics are going to rate it low because it's not good enough to be in the theaters but you're going to enjoy it more because your expectations are that low
0: so I, I, I was, yeah, how did that work then for a film like because you mentioned Event Horizon, and that, that is a film that I love. Um, but it's – how did it work for a film like From Dust Till Dawn then? Because when that came out, the trailer for that made it out to be basically the first half of the film, essentially. And then anybody that's seen the film – I mean, the film's been out for years. Everybody knows the twist of the film by now. And then suddenly when you get halfway through and it's not just two people on the run from a, from a robbery that's gone bad, suddenly the place where they've, where they've made the stop off is full of vampires and it becomes like a vampire killer thing going on instead. So I don't understand how that film did so well, considering that up until the film coming out, nobody knew what half of the film was about it's a bit like a marvel film where you see a trailer that's got all about got everything from the first 10 minutes and nothing else in so that's the question there is why do those films work and why does a film like that not
1: i think in the case of from dusk till dawn and my wife will love this because she is a huge tarantino fan you can equate the success of from dusk till dawn in two words quentin tarantino because when you consider when from dust till dawn came out we're looking at the height of films like reservoir dogs and pulp fiction and like at that point anything tarantino touched it was going to be like he he was the the star poster child of of indie hollywood at that time or more guerrilla style filmmaking and you also had robert rodriguez who had made his name with desperado uh, i think this is before once upon a time in mexico which i love once upon a time in mexico Same. despite the critics score like that's going to be one of the ones i know we're going to be covering in our third year of doing the podcast it's that sometimes the name on the poster or on the credits alone is enough to drive people in and i think that's why you have some films where there's a there's not much of a cast or supporting cast but you got that one big name and that drags you in you know it's usually around the time when their star is at its brightest like right now you could put anna de armas in anything and people will go and watch it um same thing with Ryan Reynolds. You could put him in anything. He could literally do anything and people will flock to it because it's Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and they've gotten to that point because of the talent that they have, but that does, that talent doesn't necessarily equate to the rest of the project in some cases.
0: Yeah. I, I do think, though, that Ryan Reynolds needs to, because it's almost like he's typecast in a sense now. He's going to go there and he's going to do this variation on the Ryan Reynolds character a lot of the time now where it's it's a shame, really, because I've seen films with him from before this period, you know, when he, when he was that sort of person where there's more depth through him as an actor, but it's almost as though he's being sidelined or shoehorned into this, dare I say, uh, Deadpool style of character in a sense, and that book, be what it may, I mean, Deadpool... The first two Deadpools are still incredible films and well done to him and the people for doing that. But but yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, that might be it. Um, well, I think too, yeah.
1: there's an expectation of certain actors. You know, if you go watch a Christopher Walken film, you're going to expect that, that typical Christopher Walken delivery and weird things coming out of his mouth. But I think with Ryan Reynolds we really only got the, the, the Deadpool um, kind of notion about him. And of course that was in movies like waiting and Van Wilder as well. Um, but I mean, we actually just covered two films that had Ryan Reynolds in them where you didn't have that Ryan Reynolds quippy kind of um, persona. The first one was RIPD. And in that yeah. case, it, I think it actually needed some of that Ryan Reynolds quip. The other one was Smoke and Aces, where he kind of stole the show in that one and he played it like straight ahead action film. And I think that shows a lot of where his acting talent can be if given the right property. But right now, he's producing a lot of his own things. Because he has that, that star power. He has that ability to create vehicles for himself. But he smartly also knows, uh, you know, I'm Canadian. We have to actually praise Ryan Reynolds on a regular basis. It's actually, yep. you know, it's in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms at this point. Um, but he recognizes what sells a property. And right now his humor sells a property. So we'll make a vehicle that allows him to, to capitalize on that.
0: I'll keep bringing up uh, being up Canada as well, by the way, because Russia one of the greatest fans <laughs> Which is weird because someone was telling me that Russia aren't as well looked at in Canada as they are the rest of the world, which is strange. It,
1: it's interesting. You have things that are, you know, very Canadian, but you know, they're 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 liked elsewhere in the world more than they're liked at home. There are, and I'm going to jump on a music tangent here. It surprises me. We have some bands that do so well in Canada, but they never make it in the States or outside. Like the Tragically Hip, that, that, that was basically yeah. Canada's house band. And I think it was more one of those things where we were prouder that they were bigger at home. But you have bands like, um, maybe three days grace or even one of my favorite bands of all time is harem scarum. And, um, if you like melodic rock, catchy hooks, catch, you know, big choruses, you're going to love them. They've got like 15 albums out. Um, but they never really got big at home. They were only really big in Japan and in Europe. And it's fascinating. Um, when you have those situations where you're bigger, outside of your own country than you are at home. Um, I mean, obviously, bands like Rush, Triumph, we we embrace them, right? And we'll always, as Canadians, we will always embrace our own talent. You know, a couple of Ryans in Hollywood will absolutely embrace them. We still apologize for Celine Dion, but, you know, that, that's aside from the point. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's all in good humor, good fun, and, but we're still, you know... <laughs> no matter how much we we rip on Nickelback you know we still kind of like yeah but they're Canadian and they're doing well
0: well done them. well exactly done. so it is inter- might be interesting so what is your earliest or favorite film memory
1: I still remember some of those early films like going, you know, my mother brought me to the theater a lot cause she was you know, a big movie buff as well. So, I mean, I remember being taken to, to see the first star Wars film in the theater. And I remember seeing movies like, uh, ET and the black hole, uh, you know, yeah. speaking of Disney films, I, I remember, you know, being taken, uh, to, to go see the toy at the drive-in movie theater. Um, There was always something about going to the movies, you know, and it's funny, too, because when you take a look at box offices now, you know, aside from, you know, Barbenheimer influenced weekends, you have a lot of these movies that on any other year would have obliterated the box office. But I think the streaming services and the speed with which those movies going to the streaming services has changed everyone's concept of it's a lot of people patience you know a movie hits yeah. the theaters and you got to wait a year before the dvd comes out you know now you could if you wanted to like after a week of it being in, in the theaters only you could rent it at home digitally and you can watch it and not have to pay exorbitant ticket prices uh, crazy prices on popcorn you can make your own damn popcorn and it's actually better than than what you get at the theater some days yeah. um you know it's and especially if you have a family right that's you know you're dropping 100 bucks just you know just to go see a movie with some popcorn with the kids that's that's a lot to ask for two hours of hopeful enjoyment depending on how good the movie is
0: agreed uh but i think so you've gone into that territory there of cinema, and that makes me think of a subject I've mentioned before, which is, I I think the lockdown affected film release to a certain degree, where, um, when the world went into lockdown over, over the pandemic, the problem was that they, they got that many films stacked, ready to come out, that when we came back out of lockdown and they finished post-production on other films, that had finished production and would have come out much later, those films that were already ready and these that were in post production and were finished in time at home by these people, you know, the behind the scenes people, there were too many, there were so many films there when we came back out of lockdown that then we had this crazy situation where film studios were saying, okay, we'll put these big films out at the cinema. And these films that we because we want to make all this money because we've lost money over the last couple of year and a half, two years, while the cinemas have been closed, we want to make big money, so we'll have this big film, that big film, that big film, and this film, uh, like you know, which would be a really good cinema film, like a decent drama or something. I'm trying to think of ones off the top of my head. There's a few of them actually that came out like that, where they'll go right that we'll put that on streaming service as well. We'll charge them. For like you know, ten dollars or whatever to stream it for a bit, and then it'll after a, after a few weeks we'll put it to free. And I think that sort of harmed the um, the cinema slash theatre uh, model essentially. And it needs to, I think they need to go back to having that variety in the cinemas. To be quite honest, because it it bothers me that these films that I think are absolute gems that are being thrown straight to streaming. I think it's wrong in a sense, and they need that cinema thing to give you that feel, in a way.
1: I think it's interesting because right now, in my opinion, I think we're at critical mass when it comes to streaming. You know, the whole idea of you know, a platform like a Netflix was that it challenged the notion that you needed to have, you know, to get your cable package and get the movie channels and get this and that in one big cable package so you could watch these things, but you still have to be patient, you know, and then with, you know, Netflix and, and HBO before this, they challenged the notions of what was acceptable in a TV show, um, you know, you had shows like True Blood and Dexter and and uh, Game of Thrones, which challenged the, the guidelines of what you could do in a, in a series. You weren't going to get that on ABC or CBS, yeah. right? Because um, you couldn't. Because, you know, because of restrictions, right? You can't put, you know, beheadings and orgies on, you know, 8 o'clock p.m. primetime programming. You know, it's it's not yeah. going to cut it, right? HBO, yeah, you can do that. But then everyone saw that Netflix was doing very well, and then everyone else felt like they had to have their own Netflix. And that's the problem with something that does really well and then spawns, all the imitators until, until you get to critical mass and then you start to see things shrink and either end or merge with other companies. And I think HBO is the biggest proponent of that. You know, you had, you know, their HBO max service, and then within a year they're changing it to max and all these properties that they had earmarked for HBO max are getting shelved like Batgirl. And, all of a sudden they're realizing that the cost to make content for the platform does not equate to the money that the platform brings into. And that's where you're going to get the critical mass, right? Where right now, if you, if you wanted the everything, like the everything you'd be paying more than your cable package, you know, cause it's like Netflix and Apple TV and, uh, uh, prime video and, uh, Hulu, if you're in the states, Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and Peacock and BritBox and uh, whatever else is out there, and then you have your fast networks too, the the ones that are free like Tubi and Pluto and um, yeah. Plex and there's and if you have a Roku device, there's the Roku. There's enough free stuff out there that people are now sitting there going, "Why am I paying for 17 different streaming services?" Um, and it's a shame. Because some of them are really, really good. I think Shudder is um not necessarily unfairly maligned, but I think it's it doesn't get the props that it deserves because this is the one where it doesn't cater to a corporate entity, it caters to a genre. And okay. I I was hopeful that Shudder was going to be the template for what the, the the other spawned ones are going to be. You know, we could easily have a science fiction-based streaming service and people would pay for it because sci-fi fans have no problem going back and watching some of the campier, you know, early eighties, late seventies kind of sci-fi films because that's their bag. Same thing with Shudder; They have no problem going back and watching some of these lesser known horror films because it's the genre that they're buying into, not necessarily the corporate name
0: attached to it. But even then, with the corporate name ones, like you know, you mentioned the Disney Plus. Uh, so when that came out in the UK, uh, which you know it it had it had more on there in some ways than than the American model because of the fact that we we, fought, we didn't have we don't have Hulu, so the the, the 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 property that's owned by Disney. Um, when I saw that coming, I thought, "Oh, maybe we're going to have something a bit interesting here." Because I thought, "Well, Disney, have got Disney, they've got Touchstone, they've got—I mean, they've got 20th Century Fox, got this, got that, got the other." And I thought, "Wow, we're going to have such an incredible array of, you know, things there available." But then it's sort of like not quite. This bits where the big question. Is, oh, we're not going to put that on there. We won't have that on there. And even now, it's like there's huge gaps of. Film, it's like they can't make make the minds up whether they want to be open for everything or if they want to stay, you know, we're the family friendly company. Or it's like the, it's almost like, um, yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it. Schizophrenic <laughs> in a sense. Do we want to be this? Do we want to be that? Um, whereas I think they should just the whole lot. And then the weird thing came out recently with Bob Iger saying, "Well, now that I'm back." we're going to cut this much of the material on there. And I thought, well, how do you expect people, because he's saying that they're losing people, customers, essentially. And I thought, well, how does that work then, that if you're losing customers, you think you're going to gain customers by giving them less of a package?
1: I, I, I can see two sides to this um the first one obviously is you know there's some things on there that are going to stay on there forever you know disney went out and spent a ton of money on lucasfilm so anything star wars uh is going to stay on there because people are going to watch it on a very regular basis uh same thing with marvel they spent the money got marvel it's going to be on there um plus that means they hold on to the properties as well um you know not many people you know no one can have those marvel shows on their streaming services you know shows like bones i know we're still on prime video as well so there's there's probably still existing uh streaming deals left over uh from before the fox purchase so i mean that's you're gonna see that kind of hold on a little bit but i think too um there is also only so much server space available to them because if you need to buy more servers to hold all the content which is you know all the traffic is starting to access at the same time um, that's an infrastructure cost that's going to be you know it's going to make the service they're going to have to raise the price so if they lose some of the content that's probably not getting as much in the way of people actually watching it then that means you don't have to expand the servers you can just change the content but also the thing with with willow the recent series you know them saying yeah we're gonna pull that off kind of thing it's not that it wasn't good but now they have the ability to sell the physical media and capitalize more on the property because the people who liked willow are, are going to be a ticked that they can't watch it anymore but then they'll yep. go and buy the DVD, so they struck twice. People who, who signed for the service, watch Willow, now the series gone, now you got to go buy the DVD. That's why people are so, you know, get your physical media. Get the movies that you love on a, on a format that you can watch whenever you want. Uh, music, buy the CDs, because, you know, some of them disappear off Spotify every now and then. You know, the services are great when they have what you're looking for, but when you have very, for lack of a better term, esoteric, likes you know and they're there and then they're not there um i i there are the number of bands on spotify where they have every album but the one i'm looking for it's yes you know and it becomes frustrating because you get like maybe a song here or a song there that were on a compilation but you don't get the deeper
0: cuts um, incidentally, you've mentioned the first thing I watched when Disney Plus came to the UK and I got the subscription because the first thing that we watched was was the film Black Hole because I remember watching it as a kid and loving it when I saw it at the cinema. And I've always thought that that was a, one of those films that people, I think, unfairly put down because I think it's a really good film. Well, it is one of the first PG
1: films that Disney had put out uh, right up there with another film that we had covered on the podcast, Midnight Madness. And I I think the, the best thing they did for Midnight Madness was they really kind of took the Disney name off of the marketing and just put it out there as a, you know, cannonball run esque, but still friendly for kids kind of film with the black hole like Disney was all over this and it was it was a lot yeah. more intense than i think kids were ready for at the time i mean, i loved it to the point of i remember having the 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 storybook and vinyl so you could pop the vinyl on and you know read along with the storybook at the time um you know change the page when you hear the jingle right um mm-hmm. but in hindsight black hole was ahead of its time because Disney and slightly more intense action, not necessarily geared to a G audience. Back in nineteen eighty, that they weren't ready for that. Now it's it's fine; it's no problem. There's an audience for everything. So,
0: yeah, I think I think you're right. It's, I mean, it's 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 definitely a, not meaning the pun, not meaning to be a pun here, but it is a very dark film. I mean, I know it's called Black Hole, but it is a dark film and very, yeah, there's certain elements to it which are not, shall we say, little kid friendly.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, for teenagers, it's great, right? But the thing is, you take a look at those robots with the, you know, with the paste on googly eyes that they had for those things, the robots look like they should be kid friendly, And then you go in and you have these robots like, you know, trying to rescue themselves from, you know, giant balls of flame that are going down this tunnel. It's like this is this is intense, you know, under 13. And a lot of it, I think, has to deal with the maturity of this of the kid at the time. Absolutely.
0: So what was your inspiration then to making the podcast that you make? What what were you listening to that inspired you, if you were listening to anything?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. So It's Not That Bad is actually my second podcast. The first one was one I had done called Made You a Mixtape. Yes. And that, I mean, that was just a, an interview show where, you know, talk to anybody and... Everything got, you know culminated to the one final question. And that question was, if you had to introduce yourself to a total stranger, but instead of saying, hi, I'm so-and-so and this is what I do, you, you handed them a tape. And on that tape were songs that told the story of you, what songs were going to be on that tape and why are they there? So you learned a lot more about uh, the interviewee by the music that they personally associate with. Um, so that was... And that podcast was, I think, driven more out of a lack of um, outside connection because it was, it, this was a pandemic podcast. You know, this was yep. um, because, you know, as, as I mentioned to you, as we were getting ready for this show. I'm in a band and we were averaging, you know, 35, 40 shows a year. So wow. you're going out there that, that, that was my weekend exercise, right? Um, you go out there, you play live music for people, um, you, you get to talk to them. It's this great energy that you that you get from playing live, and then everything stops. Like just stops. Yeah. And we we'd actually had a gig lined up for the St. Patrick's Day, the which was the night like they were going to shut everything down that night. You know, the bars were supposed to close. This this was literally the next day everything was was in lockdown. And I remember like we we called up the bar and we're like, "So, I guess we're not playing tonight because you guys are going to have to close at a certain time." And then we didn't play another show for a little over a year. And wow. you know, during that time, you know, you you miss certain things. You miss you know, I, I didn't miss going to the office. That was fine. I like no. working from home. But you miss the going out energy and not having that ability to play live and create something, you know, at that level. It's like, okay, I need to do something. And, you know, the interview format, like I, I work in television. I'm a video editor. So the idea of interviewing people was always there. And so I just reached out to a couple of friends at the time who I knew had like interesting things that they did. And I said, let, let's try something. Let, let, let me try this out. And, you know, over the, you know, it lasted from about about a full year. And that, that was, that was basically, you know, 2001. And, you know, I had some, I had a chance to interview some great, great musicians and, uh, and other, uh, authors, uh, Singer songwriters, uh, other podcasters, uh, and it, it was a fu- it was fun. And during that year, uh, I'm like, I really like this podcasting thing. I'm really, I'm gonna keep going with this. You know, how can I how can I do more? Right? Because you're you're at home the entire time. How can I do more? And so the idea was like, what do I love to do? Well, I like to watch films, and I've always loved watching bad films. You know, I you know we often talk about the days of blockbuster video and going in and renting seven movies for seven days. And you know, so if you're there with, with someone's like, all right, you pick three, you pick three, and then we're going to find the most off the wall pick to, to fill that seventh. Um, And sometimes it's based on the title alone. And that's not always a good thing, but it's one of those things where it allowed you to, you know, watch movies that you wouldn't normally watch on a regular basis. Um, I would never in my wildest dreams have said, Hey, I got nothing to do for two hours. Let's watch Mac and me. That seems like fun. Uh, not, but you know, when you go in and, and there are so many podcasts out there where, and I'm not trying to be dismissive of other podcasts, but there's a lot of podcasts out there where their entire thing is, uh, just crapping on films. Right, hey, this movie came out. Let's talk about it. And it usually devolves into um, why this film isn't that good or whatever, or um, being disappointed about things. I think you're seeing a lot of that too with some of the Marvel. Getting back to that, but I always like the ability or the thought that even in the crappiest of films, there's that one silver lining. Right? It's like listening to a, a an arguably bad album, but there's that one song there's that one song that you're like, okay, this is a kind of a bop. And so the, the impetus became, okay, so we're going to watch these films that are lowly rated, you know, and that, that there had to be a criteria, you know, it wasn't just us saying, you know, this is a bad film. In our opinion, it's a bad film, but we're going to watch it anyways. No, by linking it in to the rotten tomatoes, critic score, there was a, a quantifier. there There's a qualifier there. and, at first, we were like, "Yeah, just fifty percent and under, right?" Now we realize that that sixty percent is that is that it's almost like that college pass, right? Yep. So if you know, we we joke around that if the tomato was green, the movie can be seen. So so long as it's under sixty percent, we'll we'll watch it. And the good thing is we're never going to be without a movie to cover. This podcast could go on for decades and because every year there's movies that come out that, that they are they're critically panned. But I love the idea of trying to find the good things to say about it and looking at it in a way, in a positive aspect because it's surprisingly, when you go into a movie, looking, knowing that the critics have panned it, but looking for something good about it you actually find yourself enjoying the movie more and even the ones that are that are so bad you sit there and go oh this is horrible but it's fascinatingly horrible like i remember we did an episode on samurai cop which is such a bad film like it's poorly made it's poorly acted it's poorly written but you find yourself enjoying the unintentional camp quality of it you know the there's a fight scene where the guy's wig falls off because he cut his hair mid-production not knowing there were going to be more shoots and right. like, it's like i can't believe this made the final cut but it's there and there's just such an earnestness to the making of the film you you can't you can't not smile at some of the bad dialogue because it is it's take it takes itself so seriously and not played for camp that that's where camp comes from, you know. The nice thing too is, you know, the shows. The, I I did an episode on like episode one on mega shark versus giant octopus. So definitely yeah. not anyone's you know you know idea of a good movie. Um, and I just did it solo, just to just to try it out, just a trial run it, and then you know a couple of guests from podcasters that I had either talked to or guested on their episodes. Um, the guys from Playlist Wars, uh, Brian Colburn and Gomez, they, they've been so super supportive um, throughout the, the Major Mixtape run, and now It's Not That Bad, and now my other music podcast, There Can Only Be One. Um, you've got Greg from Movie Date Night. He comes on on a regular basis, and I got to know him by guesting on The Moral Combat podcast and doing a couple of episodes with them um so it's we've created this small little group that has you know kind of you know jump at the chance to to hop onto the show have a laugh watch a bad movie but yet sit there and really enjoy aspects of the film uh and it's a very supportive circle too like Again, I I mentioned, you know, uh, Brian and Gomez from Playlist Wars, and now they have their own shows with My Weekly Mixtape and the Sleevey G Show. And you've got Sean Faust, who's a musician from New Jersey, who pops onto the show every now and then. Um, And we have an open door policy, too. Like, if you want to come on the show, drop me a line, right? Like, pitch a movie. You know, so long as it's an under 60% odometer, you know, come on to the show. Because the whole idea of it is if someone has pitched a movie, it's because they're passionate about it. So they're going to come in with this I will defend this film mentality, which always gives a more positive feel to the episode. And you find yourself like even if you went into the film skeptical. You find yourself caught up in the, you know, infectious energy brought on by someone who's ready to defend a film themselves.
0: Yep, it's it reminds me that of um, so an, an episode of Stupid World Order. He had uh, Bill from Bill Reed's Bad Reviews and Sean from Review it Yourself on, and they were shocked when Sean gave um, what was it, Batman and Robin. 10 stars because he really does like that film a lot
1: batman and robin eh i'm gonna gonna call sean back up yeah because i i mean i remember going on to uh to defend it yourself on on his show there and and talking about the pirate movie yeah. which you know i freaking love the pirate movie um and he actually he had never seen it and he went in and watched it he's like this is gloriously fun Right. It's, you know, yeah. it's critically panned, but it's gloriously yeah. fun. Um, but that's the thing, right? Like every podcaster that I have dealt with so far has been um, very positive and very welcoming and helpful. And I think it's because, you know, especially over the last three years, we've all lost a little bit of that connection that we had with the outside world. And here you have people from around the world really um able to meet in the middle and discuss things that that move them like we're not a political podcast and i don't ever want to be a political podcast like even if we talk about a movie where someone has you know in the history of their life gone on to for lack of a better term warrant being cancelled like anytime Jeffrey Jones is in the film, we we actually stop and say, okay, let's let's pause for a second here. We're gonna talk about Jeffrey Jones, but we're not gonna talk about you know what he did in his personal life because you know, just because he's a horrible person doesn't mean that the performance in the film isn't bad. So we we limit the conversation to just the performance in the film. You know, you can yeah. uh, you can uh, disagree with a musician's political standpoint and yet still think that the song is pretty good. Like I don't agree with pretty much anything Ted Nugent says these days, but I'll still rock out to cat scratch fever. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to burn a CD, right? It's, you know, it's, you can separate the art from the artist and that's okay
0: um yeah i i should have listened i should have, i wish you would given me that advice provided a beatles podcast recently because they were talking about uh, R- R- rolf harris who is very questionable nowadays and i avoided joining the conversation i feel bad about it because it's almost as though i was i felt wrong doing that in a way and you got the same thing now with you, you can reel them off like the Jeffrey jones uh, kevin spacey for instance, Mm -hmm. you've got the same thing there with questionable things with him. But there's no arguing that he was an incredible actor in Seven and American Beauty and films, you know. But, yeah, like you said, you've got to separate, when you do these shows, you've got to be able to separate that from the artistic side essentially
1: well it's like the and and i I, again i was listening to to one of your episodes recently and you had on and i I think it was episode 135 i can't remember the the name of the podcast that they did uh and they were talking about the idea of never meet your heroes and i remember one of the guys was talking about uh his brother worked in film and um got to meet this guy that's like oh that must have been cool it's like no kind of a dick right and then all of a sudden you realize that oh you're you're the way you then look at that, that actor or whatever might be a little tainted, if you will. You know, with someone like Kevin Spacey, um, there are, you're right, there are films that will always stand the test of time. And before the allegations came out, uh, you were very happy to watch it. And that art, you know, you enjoyed it you know and then the 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 real person kind of peeks out from behind the curtain and you get to see a little bit of what you don't you didn't want to see but that doesn't mean that the film is any worse you if you can disassociate the art from the artist then you can continue to enjoy the art that you love like i'll still watch the negotiator i think it's a great film and he's great in it uh, a lot of his films are great in it um you know that's where we could we draw the line we're not going to ever on the podcast evolve into moral uh, moral arguments about an actor when all we're talking about is their portrayal of a fictional character
0: yeah absolutely i'll learn from that now i will not do it again. <laughs> thank you but um and then you start in the podcast so as you lead up to it Um, what sort of research do you do and do you have a specific structure that you follow during the show
1: well it's funny the the structure of the show really was cemented um right off the bat from the first episode um I, i wanted to have a tease for the show i wanted to have some little fun little Blurb that we kind of geared everyone up before the show music comes in, you know, and then you know introduce the guest, talk a little bit, and then we do what we call trailerize. And you know, I'll I'll admit I'm I'm you know inspired by honest trailers. I I like their YouTube channel, um, but we don't we don't do a a, a starring section like they do. We we don't change the name of the movie like they do at the end. You know, it's just basically at first. I think the first six or seven episodes, all we did was we read either the Netflix description or in one case, uh, where we cover destiny turns on the radio, we literally read the back of the VHS box and went from there. Um, but now because I enjoy, you know, writing in a funny kind of way, I, I have fun with it. But then once those are written, uh, it's who's starring in the film, uh, we like to do the who who almost starred in the film, you know, because that's always fascinating when you take a look at, okay, this, this role was played by this character, this actor, but it was almost played by one of these people. And it's just there makes you question why this person got it or this person was so much better than these other people. Or in the case of certain films, what was their their idea of what the character originally was supposed to be and then how it ended up. Uh, there was a movie we covered called the circle, which had Emma Watson and Tom Hanks in it. And the original idea was for the Emma Watson character to be played by Alicia Vikander. Because if you read the book, the circle by Dave Eggers, Emma Watson is much more likable than the character she plays in the book Um, so if they were going to stick to the source material Alicia Vikander would have been a better choice but because they changed the tonality of the ending of the movie from the way the book ends and the main character becomes much more likable then you want someone like an Emma Watson who is a really likable actress Um, but then it's a lot of you know, the research itself is based on who's in it, who made it, what was the budget. Because sometimes the budget is fascinating to look at. Um, and then you know the Razzie Awards or the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards or sometimes like actual accolades. And you know, there's it gives you a background of the impact of the film before you get into talking about the film, you know, and then we just break it down and we go through actor by actor. And then we talk about certain other things that, that are important to the film. When we did Tron legacy, um, we had to talk about the Daft Punk soundtrack because it was such a big part of that movie that made that film as good as it was. Um, there were some, there was one film we did the immaculate room where, I think my MVP was actually the cinematographer of the film because, you know, you're basically shooting this in a, in a blank white room. So you don't really have much to work with, but this, the, the DOP on that film made that film so freaking good. And, Mm. you know, that's that, you know, we, we get to kind of, um, you know tee up some of the 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 creatives behind the camera at that point as well because sometimes it's them that make the film that good um and then really it's you know you boil it down to who is your your mvp because that's always fascinating because three people can watch a movie and they can have different takeaways as to the best part of that film so whoever you know, they choose as their MVP, it might not always line up with myself or anyone else on the show.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you, you touch on it on, in the, in your show a lot. I mean, I mean, you even mention it in the, in the trailer that there are people behind the scenes, you know, people have put their, have worked hard on these films. And in a sense, just writing them off is almost, Sweeping aside all the hard work that they've done, in a way, and you look at these films, and like you said, you know, some of these films you watch them, and you think there is no way that that film warrants as good a soundtrack as it's got, or as good cinematography as it's got. You know, you'll you'll watch a film, you might watch a, uh, a, some people might say it is a lesser western from back in the day, and people might watch that. So you're watching and you think, oh God, well, they're a bit wooden with the acting, the dialogue's a bit on the duff side or whatever. But and then you go from that, and then suddenly it'll pan out, or it'll zoom out from, from the cowboys on the on the horses. You'll zoom out from that to the vista, and you'll think, bloody hell, that's amazing. That cinematography. And how they've caught like Yosemite or somewhere in the background or something. You think, where the hell did that come from?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, people will sit there and rip on The Last Jedi. But when you, you take a look at the cinematography on that island that Luke is on, you know, I guarantee you anyone who went to watch The Last Jedi sit there going, I would really love to visit that island, just see what that island is like. Or even, you know, the scene where they're on, like, I guess what's like a salt world because, you know, the, the ships are flying and the, you know, got the red dust kind of like visually it's it's a it's a remarkable visual to see on the big screen and you know part of it is kind of you know i I'm a video editor by by profession so i have you know i i've been behind the camera in one form or another since I was like thirteen years old so and I'm not going to say how old I am right now but it's it it's it's up there in years in working in TV in one form or another and I have an appreciation for directors and cinematographers and audio designers and composers. I'm a musician as well so you know I can completely appreciate and kind of get sucked into the soundtrack at times and you know I've never worked on a big film. I've worked on smaller productions but I've never worked on a big film and I know the passion that goes into making these projects, even, even films that don't end up going anywhere, you know, it doesn't negate the work put in by the people behind the camera. And, you know, I'll never be as good an actor as the people that we see on our screens. I'll never be as good a director as the people behind the lens and making those visuals. You know, Maybe one day I'll get to edit a film. I don't know. That'd be nice. But I'll never be, you know, until I get practice, I'll never be as good as some of the editors that put together those films and really make sense out of, you know, the the notes on the paper and the, the different takes on on camera. So, you know, I approach these films knowing that, you know, there's enough noise out there that maybe one day you know, one of these actors will hear the show and, you know, yeah, we, we, we call things out like plot holes and whatnot when they need to be called out. Um, but that doesn't detract from our appreciation of the art and the work that went into the art.
0: Absolutely. Yep, definitely. So how do you record and edit the show? I'm guessing you do it much like we're doing now, uh, by, you know, some form of You know, online like Zoom, uh, Zancaster, Riverside and those sorts of things. So
1: I'm very fortunate. My wife is uh, an absolute gem and has supported me through, um, you know, whether it be by being a guest on the show or by saying, "Okay, you need you need those microphones, go buy those microphones. So we have a little basement recording studio here at our house. And, you know, I have these, you know, people are going to laugh, but. The microphones that you're hearing us on right now and on the shows, those are forty dollar microphones that we bought off of Amazon. Now, um, don't get me wrong; I, I spruce them up a bit in post production, but you know they're not expensive microphones. That the art to me comes in the editing itself. But we record on a a zoom pod track p8 which allows us to have multiple microphones plugged into it as well as a usb channel and record those channels separately and then i'll take everything into post-production and you know sweeten the audio from there and and really go through the editing process and then anyone who's calling in or like you know as we are right now i use zencaster but I don't use the recording on their end because now, I mean, it was great before the change. You know we had unlimited yeah. audio recording, but now you only have two hours per month. A month. Yeah. And so I save that two hours for whenever we do one of our grading on a curve specials, um where that's where we have like five people on. Uh, and rather than talk about how good the movies are, we'll take five movies in a category and rank them in amongst themselves um so we, the first one we did was superhero films yeah. um, but the movies we talked about were superman Four, the quest for peace and catwoman and electra jonah hex and green lantern no one is ever going to say that jonah hex was their favorite superhero film of all time but in that group of five it might rank someone something's got to rank number one so and that that that's always a fun one we have a lot of laughs during those specials but that's where i save the that two hours of recording so i just record the channels on my board onto an sd card and then i pop that into adobe audition
0: um a bit of a uh, bit of a spoiler here but you will be hearing my opinion of the film jonah hex in an episode of Stu World Order coming up, but I don't know when it is. The strange thing about Stuart is that he records his his episode so far ahead. So we recorded it, I think, in June, or it might have even been May. And he says, oh, this will be coming out late October, beginning of November. I think that's when it's coming out. But yes, I I got to talk with him about the film Jonah Hex, having watched it for the first time for that first,
1: that that is planning goals. like shout out to, to to the podcast that you know i I'd love to get to the point where I have that much advanced recording like taken care of because then you can allow yourself to, you know take the week or two vacation and then not have to cram to make sure that you have those releases uh, put out. I mean, you know, with any creative content that you put out there, the goal is consistency. Right. And, yeah. you know, I, that's why with the, with the new podcast, there can only be one, um, that's bi-weekly because, you know, I can take two hours, watch a film and then spend about an hour, hour and a half putting all my notes together. Um, uh, and that's fine. You know, um, with, there can only be one, the whole idea of that podcast is to go through an, uh, uh, uh an artist's entire studio discography and make a playlist of the best songs but you every album has to be represented and you can only pick one song per album so in some cases you're listening to 15 18 studio albums and you know then doing all your notes after that after you've made your playlist you know some artists it's fine uh, i just recorded um led zeppelin as an episode yeah. you know that's only nine albums you know so that's that's not that hard to to go through and those albums aren't necessarily that long, but then you get, uh, I think the second episode I did was Tom Petty and that's 18 studio albums, you know, because we also um, did the mud albums as well because he was on Thanks. those albums and that's a lot of music to listen to. And I'm, I'm not just going to take a look at the track listing and pick, you know, the, the big song I'm going to listen to the entire album and, And because sometimes, uh, it's a first listen for me, especially on artists where, you know, your, your knowledge of their songs is the hits, you know, the radio plays. Um, but I love deep cuts. Sometimes those deep cuts stick with me. Um, sometimes it's easy. It's like, yeah, I know that album. I've listened to that album a million times. I know exactly what song is on there. Um, we did an episode on Metallica and I didn't even have to think about the black album. Like, yep, that's, that's that one right there. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's that consistency. So for still world order to be able to have episodes recorded that far in advance, that that's a testament to smart planning and good podcasting at that point. So, you know, I've i never had the chance to 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 talk to to the Stew World Order podcast, but they have my complete nutter um, props from here. So,
0: yep, Stew's um, still whole thing is a comic book film, um, and and it's so. He, get, he got me to pick three different films, or well, he didn't. He got me to pick three numbers, so you don't know what those films are until he comes back to you with what three what three films they equate to, and it's always changing as well. He'll randomize it every time. So when he's had one film already picked, the numbers get changed around. So and then so he picked. I picked three films, and that's the one that I chose out of the three. Famously, I had three questionable film should we say twice both times I've been on because the time I was on before that I did teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 turtles in time when they went back in time to to, to you know feudal japan um that was fun <laughs> um but yeah so it's interesting but then he'll say no matter what the film is you've got to come out with positives And then whatever's negative about it. So he says, even if it's a great film, so if it's a film that's universally panned, you've still got to come out with some positive for it. And if it's a film that is universally raised up there as a five star film by most people, you've still got to come out with something that's a bit negative, even though it's tentatively that way. And then he'll pick a subject, a topic that goes with the film as well. So it made it made it interesting. That's for sure.
1: I I need to start listening now because that sounds like a ton of fun.
0: That's why I'm, I went on about it is because it it fits your whole thing entirely there.
1: And Jonah Hex, I I actually enjoyed quite a bit. Um it, it was it was actually a first watch for me when when I had to watch it, and that's the funny thing. You know, some of the films that we cover, it's we we've watched it at at nauseum and because we love it and it, you know that's when we take out our pitchforks and, and defend the film to you know to the death but some of them yeah. are first watches and especially when when a guest comes on and they pitch a movie it's like i can't believe i've never actually watched this like um i can't remember who came on uh sorry it was the the dragons of genesis podcast came on and we talked empire records and yeah as much of a music fan as i am and a musician I had never actually watched Empire Records. I'm like, I can't believe I've I've listened to the soundtrack countless times. Never yeah. watched the film.
0: Right. So um, recording and editing. So then you've got the music and the logo as well. I mean, he said, I'm slightly better than my attempt at doing a make-do logo because I couldn't remember what yours was. So if you look at the picture I've got for you there, that's that's supposed to be a video cassette in the top corner. <laughs> That is a really bad DVD, and then that Cine Duff there that I've got there, that's supposed to be like one of those uh, neon signs that you have outside of, outside a theatre, and then the television there as well with, you know, what is it, Douche Pictures I've got there, and it's just me trying to be humorous there. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so where, where did you get your own logo from and uh, and the musical background, musical, you know, intro and everything? So I, I
1: have a, an account with Storyblocks um, yep. with, their, with their audio. So uh, I, you know, whatever music you, you download from there, once you have that, that contract or once you have that, that subscription, you own the rights to that music to be able to use it in your projects, even if it is for money. So it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I paid for this and I own it. And well, at least I own the the rights to use it. So even if, you know, a track that's on, like, say, a free library all of a sudden becomes uh, no longer free to use, they, they can never come back and say, oh, by the way, now you owe us this much money. No, I've already paid for this. And because I do a little bit of freelance work on the side, um, this is kind of a business expense for me as well. So, you know, it just, you know, it works out well and then with the uh, with the artwork it's i went to pixabay which yep. you ha- you know you have free pictures that you can get there and found a film strip picture you know a little bit of film scratch on it and then i just popped it into photoshop colorized it a bit cuz it, it was just black and white and you know shades of gray then so added a bit of red to it and just the font over top of it that's you know it's it's a simple enough logo and the, the the name of the show is is right up there on front street so it's easy to recognize exactly what's going on and um and then with the the different episode icons you know i've basically got that that film strip as a border and just take a, a bit of the movie poster to fit into the square so when it's on spotify in your car or on your on your phone um you can see the bit of the movie poster in the framing with the title of it on there so it's it's simple you know i'm not a graphic designer but um it gets the point across i think
0: i think so and i mean yeah what what more do you need uh, i mean it's, it's definitely a positive show that's for sure because you know it's it is looking at the positive in films and i do like that about the the, the show a lot so Uh, arranging the guest, um, do they just flock to you or do you have to put out a call every now and again?
1: I'm very fortunate that there's a number of recurring guests. Um, The majority of the shows feature my wife, um, who loves watching a bad movie as much as I do. And uh, she and I got together in broadcasting college. So this is something that, you know, we both studied how to you know make shows and you know do audio and the like so this is you know th- this is something that 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 she and I grew up doing you know not necessarily in a podcast format but at least you know aimed at television and this is a way for uh for us to enjoy the same hobby together as well um and then you know as I mentioned before you know there there's a recurring you know, list of guests that come on, you know, uh, Gomez is going to come on. Greg is going to come on for movie date night. Um, I also teach at a broadcasting college. So I tell my students that if they want to, you know, maybe get some reps or just to, to have fun and talk about a movie, they're more than welcome to come on to the show and, and, and pick a movie. And really it's, you know, I love when other podcasters come on because, hey they know mic technique and it sounds good yeah. Um, yeah. but it it i love especially when you know you have uh, podcasters from different parts of the world because you're going to get different takes on things you know people are going to see movies very differently or sometimes uh, like with the movie legend, it's like, which version of the movie did you see? Um, And you, you get those different perspectives on it. And uh, the fact that podcasting allows the ability for those shows to be heard literally around the world and to be, you know, to be able to get guests from the UK, from the States, from, from wherever. And that's fascinating to me.
0: Yep. I agree with you. I find this exactly the same thing that 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 is fascinating. That is. Um, so, here we go. The bit that I uh, the bit that I made up while we've been talking that you know about. So, I, I don't. You know, you're starting to make me wonder whether I wrote written this one out correctly. Top five. Uh, what about what What would you say are the top five films that you think? people in general, you know, are not looked down. Well, they're not looked at well by the majority, but you think you really enjoy yourself. Ooh.
1: Yeah, I I have very select choice in films.
0: Um, Okay.
1: The first movie I'm going to put on that list, I know it's, it's so poorly reviewed, but I can't help but laugh hysterically whenever I watch it is Kung Pao Enter the Fist. It is so completely out there, but yet the concept is still brilliant. You know, taking these these old films and uh, superimposing himself into these films, very much like Steve Martin did with uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, Um, but then taking that concept and putting it into the martial arts 1970s vibe of those films and it's just so out there it's just so weird and the jokes are completely asinine but every now and then you want that every now and then you just want stupid fart humor and 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 i enjoy that that's i i love that film and i will i will defend that film to its dying day um there was a movie that my wife, Carrie and I uh, saved for the 50th episode. Um, We wanted to to make that episode special and that was repo, the genetic opera. This is a, this is a film that, you know, we saw the trailer for it on a, on a DVD that we had rented from blockbuster. Um, So that's how you get introduced to a lot of different films. And, you know, here you have a rock, Sci dystopian science fiction opera okay. starring paul sorvino anthony stewart head alexa peña vegas sarah brightman and paris hilton and it's so good but it's also like this is the film that we realized was kind of the the litmus test for our friendships and that Uh, If you watched this film and you liked it, you were kind of our people. And if you watched it and you said, what the hell is this? Um, They might run or we might run one of the two. But the music is so good. And Anthony Stewart head is absolutely phenomenal. Like I like I know there was the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I didn't realize just how good a voice he has. And like hold that, that DVD of high. Like it's, it's, I really truly enjoyed it. Um, other I've movies, album movies, right. Ah, movies that are, that are really like there, there's so many of them. Tron legacy. I yes. think, Yep I, I personally think Tron legacy is better than the original. Um, and I love, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know, I know the, 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 that's the initial take, but the, there was something about Tron legacy because it wasn't just a movie about a guy trapped in the video game and having to fight his way out. Yeah. It was world building and you all of a sudden had a hierarchy in on the grid. And, you know, instead of making a two hour action adventure, you had a two hour, Launch point for what could easily be a franchise, and then it did actually lead to the uh Tron, I think it was Tron Insurrection, um, uh, animated series.
0: Yep, that I enjoyed was, that series actually. it's so
1: good. That's, I saw it what I saw it about, yeah. Speaking of Disney, Plus, um, you know, that, that that is it's such a such a good series and built on the world building that was done in Tron legacy. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with the new Tron film that they're, they're planning, but remains to be seen. Um, okay. Out of interest, to, I'll,
0: I'll just thank everybody that, that puts torrents out there so that I was able to watch that because it was never available in the UK. Right. That series.
1: We talked about Marvel movies earlier I have one of those weird likes of the first Punisher film with Thomas Jane and John Travolta Um, I, 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 I have parts of it I don't like but I thought Thomas Jane was a fantastic Punisher like he had the tonality of Frank Castle down pat and You know John Travolta as this, you know, crime boss. As as basically, the direction of Frank Castle's ire and revenge, and that part of it they really nailed. Like, there's a lot of parts around that film that that could be removed, and it's a shame that we didn't get another John uh, Thomas Jane Punisher movie. But I still think it was really really good. Um, So what is that now? That's four. (coughs) Number five. Hmm. probably the pirate movie again another (laughs) musical um and if you want to hear me you know wax on probably for way too long about that film you can go listen to the review it yourself podcast um but there was just something so genuinely fun about that film and that was one of those movies that was on the movie channels like in the the early 80s a lot so it was campy. It was... um The songs were catchy. It's based on the Pirates of Penzance. Loosely based on the Pirates of Penzance. With some really bad 80s numbers thrown into there. But the guy who played the Pirate King, whose name escapes me now, was just so over the top and just so stage that you couldn't help but enjoy every time he was on the screen. Christy McNichol... Um, was absolutely a, a, enjoyable in this film, um, and it's fun. It's a tonic. You know, you want a musical. You know, go in for something that's going to be a palate cleanser, as opposed to. I think that's why Barbenheimer kind of worked. Go watch Arpen, uh, Oppenheimer, and then go watch Barbie as a as a palate cleanser. Okay, I've not watched
0: either of those yet. You're making me think that I need to uh, I need to talk to Stu and uh, probably probably do a series all about musicals. I think with Stu. Oh, oh, call me up for that one because I I got some
1: musicals to talk about.
0: Because my favourite film of all time is a musical, which I but it's a film that's that's universally seen by many people as a great film, which is Singing in the Rain. That's my favourite film of all time.
1: The thing with musicals is it's a lot of it depends on the musical taste right yeah. you know if if you're into um big broadway style musicals then you know something like phantom of the opera um les misérables you know people loved that movie um that that's kind of like the bread and butter but then you get musicals that are more like grease right grease yeah. is a great movie grease 2 eh, not so much but there's still aspects of Greece too that you can you can sit there and say, okay, I get it, right? Rock operas, yeah. like like a uh, we put the genetic opera, you know, they're going to cater to that genre of fan. Um, yeah, the, and there there are some films out there that that may as well have been a musical. Like we have an upcoming episode for our two year anniversary, uh, which will probably be out by the time this episode comes out. Uh, on Howard the Duck, and at times we're like, it kind of feels like a musical time, because every now and then a song will come in, and the lyrics are directly related to what the character is feeling at the time, and it's like, yeah, okay, maybe it's a musical at points, but, you know, why not go all the way, we'll, we'll take the Howard the Duck musical.
0: You preempted what I was just thinking then, and I was just thinking, would, would, would Would Howard the Duck have worked better if they'd just gone all out and made it into a musical? And by the way, to everybody out there, Howard the Duck is a Marvel character. Howard the Duck was not
1: going to work in 1986 because, you know, you're two years after the Temple of Doom. You're three years after Return of the Jedi and George Lucas is a producer on the film. And, you know, again, the weight of expectation, right? And they went in and made a Howard the Duck film as well as they could, right? But I don't think the appetite was there, probably from Marvel side or from Lucasfilm's side, to do a Howard the Duck musical because you know, that's not what you were doing in 1986. You know, they, no. the goal was to take this Marvel character and build that world. And it, it, it's funny too, when you, when you do the research on that film, then you realize that because of the box office bomb of Howard, the duck, it actually indirectly led to the creation of Pixar. It's you realize that even in the worst of, of results come the best of, of outcomes. But I think now, you know, like people have been talking about doing this, you know, Avengers musical number that they had in Hawkeye and turning that into something at at Disney theme parks, yep. you know, I'd, I'd go see that in a heartbeat. But if they came out and said, you know, we're doing a special present, a Marvel special presentation of Howard the Duck, the musical, people would lose their ever-loving minds. And you could argue in a sense that the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special had a little bit of that musical feel, especially off the top. I mean, we, we were singing that, I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here song for months after that yeah. came out. Like it was, A, it's catchy as hell song, but B, it's it perfectly fit the character considering how much music meant to Star-Lord.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the great things about that. So what advice would you give to anybody starting their own podcast?
1: The the very first thing I'm going to say is do not put any weight at all into a podcast analytics. It's, you know, it takes time to get any sort of numbers and there is no, you know, there's no magic button There's no magic wand. There's no special sauce that you got to put on something that's going to make it take off. It's time and repetition and consistency. And even that in itself might not ever come out. Like, we are closing in on 100 episodes and two years. And I, I have no problem saying that, We we the show has been listened to twenty five hundred times, over twenty five hundred times, and that that that's great. That is fantastic if you're taking a look at that big number, but if you're taking a look at the individual day numbers, you're you're looking at one, maybe three listens in a day. You know, ten if you're lucky on a release day, and you have to realize that that's the norm. At times, especially when you're starting out, if you're lucky, you know, yeah. th- there's going to be stretches of days when no one hears the show. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why are you making the show? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that if I'm not making something, then I'm not necessarily fulfilled. And the beauty part about podcasting is, you know, it allows me to watch have a reason to watch movies i wouldn't normally go out of my way to watch it gives me a reason to listen to albums that maybe i wouldn't necessarily listen to the whole album or experience artists that maybe i don't necessarily listen to on a regular basis Um, and have conversations with people who you know i may not ever have the chance to talk to those people and reach out. And then then if you're lucky, you get to guest on some of those shows and then talk about other topics that, that you didn't realize that you'd have that opportunity to talk about those different passions. Like I've had the opportunity to talk on uh, everything from movie podcasts to music podcasts to wrestling podcasts to soccer podcasts. And, you know, that's the beauty part is that not everyone is... One thing, you know, people have multiple passions and it allows you to be able to talk about those certain things. But just ask yourself the question is, if you make this thing and no one listens, are you still happy with the thing that you made? You know, yep. it, it, it can't be about the equipment. It can't be about the fame and it can't be about the payday, right? Yep. You know, we don't monetize a thing and that's okay right this this is my hobby right and if people listen that's great and maybe one day i'll make a merch shirt and maybe one person might buy it and i'd consider that a win right but even if they didn't as long as they didn't put any money into it then that's okay right um if you know in 10 years from now i'm still watching bad movies and having a good laugh with my wife or whoever wants to come on the show, yep. that that's a win. That's an absolute win, you know? So it should never be about the analytics. Also too, don't bog yourself down with listening to other podcasts and comparing yours to theirs. There's going to be podcasts out there that have better mics, better editing, better production value. Um, better guess. that doesn't matter right no no. did did you make something yes did did it get out there yes and did one person listen to it yes and that's a win you know one of the podcasts I listened to when I first started podcasting and it was uh David Tennant does a podcast with yes and I love that show more so in its simplicity right it is literally exactly what the title is David Tennant does a podcast with yep yeah. right and the episodes you know, each episode is someone that he has either worked with or in some cases just happens to be fascinated by you know like obviously David Tennant you know his episode with Michael Sheen people are going to tune into that because staged has been the greatest thing that ever hit television, you know, in the last three years, uh, still waiting for season three, by the way, here in Canada. So if David and Michael can kind of get on that and get that show over here, that'd be real nice. I'm sure he's listening. Right. Of course he is. Right. (laughs) Um, but the depth of the conversations and especially the episodes with, um, Billy Piper and Kristen Ritter, um, those were, phenomenal episodes because there was just such a comfort in the conversation you know and the other podcast i'm going to mention too is is brian colburn's podcast my weekly mixtape because the thing with his podcast is that you know in execution it's it's simplicity you know, it's two people putting together a 20 song mixtape based on a subject, you know, and you go back and forth and you're trying to kind of match tonality and a feel. And this is how you would make a mixtape. But the thing is, when you're listening to the show, and this is the beauty of his podcast, and I've told him about this um, before, um, the beauty of his show is that when you're listening to the episode, even if you're not involved, you find yourself playing along. You know, you're you're sitting there and you know, as the person's trying to figure out what song they're gonna put it on, you're literally thinking of songs that you would put on the mixtape yourself. That's that, that that it's a simple concept, but for him it involves something that he loves doing, which is talking about music, based on something that he loved doing, which was making a mixtape. Yep. And when you're passionate about something, no matter who's listening, your energy is infectious to the listener. And if you're I, I always say and I compare this to when I'm, you know, on stage with my band is that if you're having fun on stage, the crowd is going to have fun. If you're having fun in the conversation, the listener is going to enjoy the conversation more. It's just uh it's a give and take of that infectious energy that comes with it. So, you know. Don't worry about the numbers. Worry about having fun. That's the the be-all, end-all of it. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. And don't needle yourself on the quality of the podcast audio at first. You you don't need a $700 microphone in order to be able to make a podcast. You can do it with something on Amazon. Um, you You don't need... know, a a super expensive audio board and super rig and racks with compressors and the like, you don't, you know, you don't need to spend money on uh, studio rental time and going to some place and having them record it for you. If you have a decent enough microphone and a computer that can record it, you know, maybe whether it be through OBS or Audacity or whatever free software that you can get, you can turn that into a podcast. And if you're passionate about what you're talking about, people are going to listen to you be passionate about it. Podcasting is about, you know, it's, a, it's about passion. You know, these, these shows are made from passion. Uh, they are listened by people who share that
0: passion. Absolutely. So, I mean, I was going to ask you actually what podcast you listen to, but you've just done that automatically. I kind
1: of, I, I kind of jumped ahead of the game, didn't I?
0: You did. But you're used to being a podcaster after all these episodes. <laughs> uh, incidentally, I actually put a list together just as a um, as a thing yesterday because I was talking to somebody else who does what is it? Death is not the end, mm-hmm. and his is about. Picking songs for the, you know, if you could score your your life, what would you pick? And I actually did pick um, just not not seriously, but I just picked eight songs and as uh, as a, as a uh, just to get in get a response to this. So they include um, uh, Marillion, Queen, The Zombies, Rage Against the Machine, Anoushka Shankar, and others. Huh.
1: Marillion right off the bat. I, I kinda like that. I mean, I'm a bit of a prog guy myself, you know, bands like Dream Theater and Queensryche. so you know, you throw something from Marillion in there, and
0: yeah, I'm kind of on board. I will say it's the song No One Can. Oh? So the importance to that is, I mean, I hate to say this, I've got I've got a roof because I'm I'm down for doing an episode of somebody else's show now. Um, but <laughs> so it's because when me and Luis first met it was a song that was around at that time, and um, I don't think Louise is much into the progressive rock scene as such, which is why I was surprised, because she had the the cassette single of it, because back then we had cassette singles, and she had the cassette single of that, and it was sort of like, I was already a fan of Marillion from back in the, the days with Fish, and it was just a song that, because I like Marillion a lot anyway, and then Louise liked this song. It's just a song that that binds us, in a sense, if you know what I mean. It's got that sort of thing to it, which is why it would have to be on there, because it's an important song for that reason.
1: I, I, th- I have the, I have a song that's similar to that, and I'll, I'll keep this quick, because yeah. I know you've got another podcast record coming up there. Um, the first episode of There Could Only Be One, we covered Anthrax, one of the big yeah. four of thrash metal. And the reason why is because... Anthrax, there's a certain song from Anthrax that is literally the reason why my wife and I are together. Let me tell the story here. So we were both in broadcasting college, second year, and I'm in the edit suite. I'm trying to teach myself this new computer editing system, which was like one of the first versions of Avid. Um, So to teach myself this, I tossed this short little Anthrax song called Cup of Joe. It's off the volume eight CD. It's like a buck and a half at most, maybe only 40 seconds. Um, it's all about screaming about, I need a cup of coffee. And I just put some visuals on just to teach myself the process. And she sticks her head in the door and she says, is that anthrax? Like this is a deep cut of anthrax, like deep, deep cut. And I turn around and... I look at her and I said and I'm apologize if, if you know for swearing here, but I'm quoting directly here. I said, You like anthrax? Fuck, marry me. <laughs> Two years later we were married. So Probably. that is, you know, like so that song, Cup of Joe, that is, you know, the what basically started my wife and I, um, going out and, and, and becoming a couple and then eventually getting married. And, you know, that is so many years down the road, but it, the, that's the reason why we picked anthrax to cover on that music podcast is like, yeah, who else are we going to start with? Absolutely.
0: So where can people
1: find you and get a hold of you then Jason? i'd like to say they can find us on twitter but uh, right now i'd have to say that find us on x i guess uh, the platform formerly known as twitter um so yeah. on twitter twitter i'll say it anyways um, screw you, Elon. Um, <laughs> you can find us at not that bad cast, or you can find the, the, there can only be one at only one cast, um, on other social media platforms. It's just at not that bad cast, um, including spoutable and, uh, Instagram. Uh, you can also go to our website, not that bad And I'm going to start blogging a lot more because, um, the this Twitter X thing is becoming a lot more a lot harder I guess for because people are bailing now cuz who knows what's going to happen with it but that's where you're going to be able to connect with us send us emails find out what's coming up and I, I, I want people to reach out. We're going to put movies out there that we want to hear what other people think about those films. It shouldn't just be two voices talking about it. You know, get your comments in because as a podcaster, I'll say that that makes our shows much more fun when we have listener comments.
0: Yeah. And it's a well put together web uh, webpage as well, where you've got all the links there to yeah, wherever you want to find them. If you want to find them anywhere, all the links there on the opening page, it's got details of latest episodes. So you can go there to find the episodes that you're after of of each show. And it's just, yeah, it's a really well put together website. It's much better than the one that I've done, that's for sure. Um, that that
1: but, means the world because I can't do a damn thing when it comes to web design. So this is me finding the easiest uh, template to use
0: off of WordPress. Same. I'm on WordPress as well. So if you want to find me... Um, you can find uh, Pods Like Us on, well, you're listening to us. You can find us on any streaming platform. And we're also on, I'm going to say, Twitter, Instagram, and um, what's that new one called again? Oh, Threads. Threads. Threads on Threads as well. And you can contact us through podslikeus at gmail.com. If you want to go to the website, themarvzone.org as well, to find any strangeness from me, then that'd be great. Anyway, thanks for speaking with me today, Jason. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you very much and thank you everyone for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us.